I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Oh, South Kakalaka! Don't you dare be sour! Clap for your world-famous two-time champs! And feel the power! It's a new day! Yes, it is! For 12-Pack Radio, get excited, y'all! Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, the home of the Bader Inc. College Football Statistical Model, and your home for Pac-12 gambling advice with William Hills, Max Meyer. This is Brian Conger. Thank you for joining us. We are cruising through our Pac-12 preview series. We're going to do USC, Washington, and Washington State. This week, last week, we did ASU... No, I'm sorry. Last week we did Cal and Stanford. We've done ASU, Colorado, and UCLA, and probably a couple other schools. Just go back and look. We're, we're cruising through these. Very excited to have Hithliday back from Addicted to Quack and the Quack 12 podcast. What's going on, Hithliday? Uh, not much. Uh, looking forward to talking about these schools. It's a, uh, quite a variety of uh, offenses and defenses. It sort of shows off how uh, varied the Pac-12 is. It's not like a lot of other leagues in that regard. Yeah, and, and we're a, a visual medium here. I see Rob Barron with his Nebraska boxers and Ohio State hat celebrating the return of the Big Ten. What's going on, Rob? Oh, you have no idea how big it is in Columbus that uh, Ohio State's playing this week like uh there's there's like a pep in everyone's step it is very exciting and like i think the thing that will be interesting to see is if football returns um kind of at full force and if like ohio state and the big 10 has learned the lessons uh that some of the other power conferences learned and and some of their first games you know there's a lot of wonky week one and week two games with the sec and the acc it'll be interesting to see if uh if the big 10 kind of catches up and gets all that muck out early and we'll be interested to see if the pac-12 does that as well because we have a pac-12 schedule we have the odds already and we are diving into each team starting with usc this week starting with usc the Pac-12 South favorite, Rob. Um, I'm 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 excited to talk about this team. I think there's a lot of talent. Um, the return of Elijah Vera Tucker on the offensive line really boosts the depth there on an offensive line that was a little bit awkward, a little bit awkward last year. Um, let's just dive into USC right now. What what did you think of the team last year? What did the numbers think of the team last year? So USC was uh, a little up and down last year. I mean, or a lot up and down. Um, they finished out at 25 overall in beta rank, um, but they had a really big split between their offense and defense. Their offense really rebounded under Graham Harrell, uh, getting all the way up to 11 in beta rank uh, at the end of the year, um, though they did, really did struggle in that la- in that bowl game against Iowa. Holy goodness. Um, <laughs> but as they, as they switched over to, you know, Graham Harrell's version of the air raid, they were running, you know, they, they did have a really, really big run pass split. Uh, number four in effective pass, number 109 in effective rush. What's interesting, though, is that's they actually called uh, that is not a reflection of their play calling split. That's how, you know, that's how much those contributed to their uh, to their offense. So, you know, they they called more, you know, they had a, they were a little more balanced than people think. But all almost all of the good plays came through the passing game. 
<laughs> for USC last season. Um, but that was matched by a huge fall off on defense, finishing number 58. That is a terrible power five defense. Um, they really struggled in particular defending the run number 71 an effective rush, not, a, and their, their drive efficiency number at 84 was really bad. They also struggled a bit on special teams, finishing kind of in the middle of the power five at number 34. There are some interesting hires coming in, uh, you know, for USC this, you know, this year, but you know, they, they definitely, you know what their areas that they need to focus on are. And shout out to our friends at Raina Troy and the Raina Troy podcast. Been listening to them prepping for this. If you want to get a deep dive into not just the two deep, but like the 12 deep, <laughs> they do such a good job, not only in their written material on uh, RainaTroy.com, but they also have the Patreon where they're doing uh, detail break through uh, breakdowns of each uh, each positioning group there at USC. Before we get into each position group, Day, like Rob mentioned, there are a lot of Coaching changes there at the Coliseum. Uh, you want to highlight some that you think will or will be most important for USC as they move into the season? Uh, well, it's basically unchanged uh, on the offense. The only you know real change is the the tight end. Uh, although that's connected to the interesting special teams move they made. They were uh, USC was terrible on special teams um, under uh, the special under the tight end coach John Baxter, who also had special teams. They got rid of him, uh, thank goodness, and uh, brought in Sean Snyder, Bill Snyder's uh, son, to exclusively coach the special teams, which uh, seemed like he was pretty good at that at, at uh, Kansas City. So. Uh, we will hope that uh, that he you know does that all does a good job there. It's weird to have an exclusive special teams coach. Um, they so they brought in a new tight ends coach, uh, John David Baker. I don't really know much about him, uh, and it's sort of irrelevant because they don't really use tight ends in that <laughs> offense. They they discovered uh, Drake London, the the freshman who you know basically they went from a, a lot of eleven personnel to a lot of uh, ten personnel where that was the conversion. They pulled the tight end out and they put in Drake London, the wide receiver. Uh, position who's just you know catching a lot of short stuff and then falling forward for like an extra three yards so i don't really know how much john david baker is going to be doing uh on the uh defense on the other hand it's completely new they fired everybody um including uh, like greg burns on the dbs coach who i didn't think was too bad uh, i uh, uh i forget who picked him up but uh you know it was a he good pick up arizona that's right well it's these talents wasted unfortunately um <laughs> Uh, they hired uh, Todd Orlando be the defensive coordinator. He is a curious fellow. Um, it will probably be a schematic change. Uh, he runs a 3-4, uh, looks like a tight front, um, which is pretty significant from uh, Clancy Pendergast's 4-2-5. Um, it's going to require guys moving to different positions, um, taking up different assignments. Um, and when we talk about the defense, you know, we'll get a little more into the personnel. I'm not sure how good of a fit it is. Um, uh, they got a lot better recruiters on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Craig Nivar came with him from Texas uh, for the safeties and Dante Williams from Oregon at cornerbacks. Um, and they've been lighting it up at least at that unit on the recruiting trail. Uh, the rest of them, I sort of been questioning their 2021 class, but that's for another day maybe. if you want to learn more about todd orlando we have a piece on him at sharpcollegefootball.com and we did a whole series of podcasts on all the coaching changes that happened in the pac-12 you can find those in our earlier episodes and just scroll down on your feed let's go into the personnel here we should start with keaton slovis 3,500 yards, 72% completion rate, 30 touchdowns, nine interceptions. We've been saying on this podcast for a while, Rob, that when it comes to quarterbacks, uh, at least the, the returning quarterbacks, it's Keaton Slovis and it's not close at the number one slot. Yeah, absolutely. Slovis was fantastic last season. It was a very different USC offense when he was in. You know, I think he, you know, they, they did have the game where he was injured where you know the backup played pretty well. 
against Utah. I mean, pretty did well he, by did admitting he that he no, <laughs> no. I mean, I say like he won the game, but it was he was playing 500, and Utah just couldn't figure out that he was just throwing up the ball <laughs> deep, and the USC feet receivers were going up to get it. Um, that did not work the next week, uh, you know, against Washington, but. Um, you know, he's Slovis really has this nailed down, you know, barring an injury, he's really going to be the guy, uh, you know, you know, and should be, you know, with the, the plethora of options he has, uh, you know, the wide receiver core and, um, you know, Harrell really, I think being a believer in him and being around to develop him, I, I think Slovis is prime for a really big year uh, hey, for them. Yeah. And Hitler one of the things that was interesting was it wasn't like. It wasn't like Slovis was invincible. There was a couple games where it seemed like teams had his number. BYU comes to mind when they went on the road there. There's a couple other games where he was limited to what he was able to do. Is there anything schematically that stood out for you? And if not, just what, what do you think about Slovis in general? Uh, well, schematically, the thing that stands out is he's a perfect fit for the system. You know, he's he is simultaneously deliberative, accurate, and uh uh, you know, gets the ball out of his hand very quickly, which, you know, is exactly what you want for this scheme. And I actually don't think the backup Mac Fink is a bad quarterback. He's just the other type of quarterback, as Rob said, you know, he's he's just chucking up 50-50 balls, which, you know, given USC's wide receivers, who we'll talk about in a minute, like, you know, it can be pretty effective against certain defenses um, or if you just get lucky and, and they're pulling those down. Uh, you know, Slovis is, is just a different kind of cat. And um, I don't want to sound like I'm dismissing him as a system quarterback because I, I am not. And I totally agree with Rob. He's the best quarterback in the Pac-12. Um, but, you know, that was the that was the difference in the games he played versus the games he didn't was that, you know, he and uh, Graham Harrell are peanut butter and chocolate. So um, the, I guess it is my job on this podcast to tear down all everybody's favorite quarterbacks. So uh, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, if I have a criticism of Keaton Slovis, it is that uh, he plays uh, what I would call hero ball, um, th that when the play is breaking down, if he can't find an immediate outlet for the pass, that uh, he doesn't do the Tom Brady thing, just throw the ball away and live to play another down. Uh, instead, he starts running around in the pocket and trying to find, you know, extend the play, trying to find something open. And, uh, you know, on the times in which that is effective, it makes for a fantastic highlight reel. I don't blame anybody for falling in love with him for when he pulls those off. Hell, you know, the first score, uh, touchdown they scored against Oregon was, you know, on a plate like that. Um, the problem is, you know, on my tally sheet, it is a net negative for the kid um, because he is also prone to putting the ball in danger, um, you know, in terms of turnovers. And he and we're going to talk about the offensive line in a minute, I trust. Uh, you know, his offensive line is just not able to protect him for four seconds while he's doing that. I held the offensive lines. I will protect him for three seconds. And um and there's, you know, I hate to say this, it gives me absolutely no pleasure to say, but it puts him at injury risk. Um, yeah. And he missed a bunch of games due to injury. And they, you know, USC can't afford that. Um, you know, if I were his QB coach, I would I would be doing my damnedest to uh, uh, get that tendency out of him and training him to get rid of the ball. Um, and we're just going to have to wait and see, you know, whether or not that's that's happened. Something to keep an eye on there, uh, and we'll get to the offensive line. Let's talk about the weapons he has here, because there are actually some pretty good wide receiving cores in the Pac-12. Uh, you have Stanford, you have Washington, you have uh, ASU, a lot of young talent. Uh, Frank Darby, obviously, being somebody that's the burner there, but there's some interesting pieces there. Oregon has some good young pieces that are coming in, uh, which is pretty exciting to see. I look at this list here, though, but Michael Pittman, Amon Ross St. Brown, 
Uh, I apologize. Michael Pittman is gone. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, Tyler Vons, Drake London, uh, really some excellent pieces here and some young talent coming in, Rob. The, the wide receiving core should be impressive again. What stands out for you? I mean, what stands out for me is you list all those guys and then like the guy that's getting a lot of raves in camp right now is Brew McCoy. <laughs> You know, we, right. we didn't even see last year. Um, and there, I mean, it's, you know, Hippolyte's right. I mean, the USC did not um, hit the ball out of the park on their last recruiting class at all. Um, they they seem to have re-energized things a bit, but they're, you know, they, they don't have as much depth as maybe as you'd like. Um, I guess if you're going to have one knock on USC, uh, you know, their wide receiver core coming into this year. Um, is that they don't have quite as much depth as you'd like for as many receivers as they're likely to have on the field. Uh, that said, you know, like, you know, top to bottom, uh, it's, 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 it is a full head above everybody else in the conference and it's, you know, in its talent, you know, there. So I, I think that they're going to have, and they're, you know, as long as they can keep, you know, uh, Slovis healthy, like they're going to, they should, all of those guys should be primed for a pretty big year because he'll distribute the ball around. He doesn't, we used to joke around about JT Daniels or you in particular, right? The, the G, the Amon Ross St. Brown tunnel vision. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Slovis doesn't have that. Right. So the ball is going to get much more distributed around. Yeah, and it'll be really fun to watch. Uh, I think one of the things that there's that GIF online that we use a lot, where the person uh, puts the sad face into the peanut butter, and that's how I feel when when I, I realize that oh no, they took away the tight ends and they used Drake London instead, which is something that you hit on here, Hithliday. Um, and I know Alicia Deartola is super boned about that with uh, Daniel Amadebebe. Uh, but Hithliday, when we're taking a look at these wide receivers here, uh, what stands out for you? Who are the the strong pieces here, and how are they being used? Uh, well, I agree with everything that Rob said. In fact, I, I think you didn't go far enough. Like the the three guys that they bring back, they they were throwing the ball to four wide receivers last year, and pretty much only four wide receivers last year. That's kind of the curious part. Um, one of them departs, as you eventually noted, Bryant, uh, Michael Pittman. He was the X receiver. Um, that's the other thing is they always lined up in exactly the same spots. Michael Pittman on the left side, Tyler Vaughn's on the right sideline, St. Brown in the slot in the middle, Drake London as the Y receiver. Um, and uh, they lose Pittman. A ton of the offense went through uh, Michael Pittman because the most common pass in that offense was the little, uh, you know, flat route that he would run. Uh, occasionally he would burn it down the sideline. That was smart because it kept the de- defenses honest. They had to give him a big cushion um, in case, you know, he decided to take off. But on the other 90% of plays, which was just a little short flat uh, pass into the flat, he would turn around and gain another six yards into that cushion that the CB had to give him. So um, it will be interesting to see how they replace it. They will probably do so with Brew McCoy. I, you know, just his talent rating and his body fit seems to be, you know, perfect for the task, but we didn't see him at all last year, as Rob noted. So, you know, remains to be seen. Um, uh, they bring back uh, Tyler Vons. That's an NFL receiver. They bring back uh, St. Brown in London. Those are NFL receivers like, yeah, v- very good. Oh, actually, Drake London, I don't mean to criticize him. I just don't really know much about him because he really only ran one type of route last year, which is to run about six yards forward, turn around, show his numbers to Slovis, catch the ball and fall forward for another two yards. Um, good. Good skill to have. Uh, you definitely got a lot of yards out of that. Um, the Here's the thing is that their depth is really, really screwy. This is one of the smallest wide receiver rooms in the Pac-12, and they didn't give any reps to their backups at all, um, yeah. even during garbage time. Although at USC under uh, Clay Helton, their garbage time is few and far between. Um, 
they have one other uh, four-star. That's Kyle Ford. Unfortunately, he tore his ACL and will not be available this season. Uh, the other one is Gary Bryant from the 2020 class, like the only good guy they got from their 2020 class. Uh, he's a slot guy all day long. We, of course, haven't seen him because he's going to be a true freshman this year. I think USC, if I have a criticism for this wide receiver core, it's – it's if they take an injury, they kind of can't afford it like at all um, because the rest of their wide receiver room are three stars who've, I, you know, the old man of the room is Manir McLean, who's caught three passes in his career. Um, I, I think if one of the outside receivers, Vaughn's or probably McCoy, uh, take an injury, then what they're probably going to do is either put in Manir McLean or move St. Brown to the outside and have Bryant fill in in the slot receiver. That's the other thing about Bryant is he's a slot receiver all day. He's like maybe 5'10". Uh, he's listed at 5'11". In football terms, that's probably a lie. Uh, the you know, again, like I was saying with Slovis, I, I feel bad about this because it sounds like I'm rooting for injuries and I'm definitely not. I'm just saying as a reality of college football that that uh, players tend to get, you know, you, you tend not to, to finish the season without any injuries. Lord knows USC knows that they had like three of the running backs out with injuries all at the same time at one point last year. I mean, it was just crazy how many injuries they had. They were fortunately spared that at wide receiver. I hope they are again, because if they take an injury, like it's kind of uh-oh town. Yeah, and then the transfers of Velas Jones and Von Williams obviously hurt the depth there, and they uh, will be seen, I think, in Tennessee and uh, Oregon, right? Didn't you guys get a USC play? Uh, uh, Devin Williams transferred to Oregon. Uh, and it sort of highlights the the other skill position talents in which they have, given that they don't run the ball very often, uh, as Rob uh, brought up, and given that they are not really using the tight ends in the passing game, it's sort of bizarre how many scholarships they've given to running backs and tight ends, and they're sort of continuing that trend in 2021's recruiting class. I'm not sure why. Uh, you know, they, they probably should have wrought, managed this roster better. You know, the, this is one of the things that USC fans are really right about, is Clay Helton has poorly managed this roster, and one of the prime examples is too few uh, wide receivers and way too many running backs and tight ends in an air raid offense. Okay, okay. Let's get into whether or not Slovis is going to have the time to throw the ball to said excellent wide receivers. Uh, Rob, the offensive line was kind of a mess, kind of a mess last year. The return of Elijah Vera Tucker uh, from opting out and uh, considering the NFL draft coming back, likely moving from guard to tackle. Uh, I'm not certain how that's going to – you guys are the experts on the offensive line here. What did you think about that news? What do you think about him moving over and then the offensive line in general? I mean, it's it's a big help, him coming back. There's no doubt about it. Uh, that said, I mean, the, the offensive line is is – and it's not – this isn't new. I mean, this isn't even – I mean, this isn't even on Harrell. This predates him, USC's offensive line struggles. Um, but their, their, their line's really holding them back, and – I mean, I don't know that Harrell, I mean, Harrell's, Harrell's done quite well. He's not, but he's not Lincoln Riley. And some of the things that sort of Lincoln Riley does that incorporates air raid passing concepts with the fact that he is at a blue chip program where he can go out and recruit tight ends and running backs. Um, and so he actually, you know, incorporates them into the offense and runs, actually Lincoln Riley runs a lot of power, um, you know, mixed in there, which makes it one of the most fun offenses to watch. You don't see USC leaning into anything like that. Part of that, I think, is, you know, Harold's, you know, own schematic and, you know, system. I don't, uh, but, you know, for as ineffective as they were to running the ball last year, he still did call a considerable number of runs. And those almost become wasted opportunities where they should be throwing the ball, um, you know, given how bad the offensive line is. So, I, I mean, you, the, the line, I expect them to be adequate, 
Um, you know, Slovis would do well to get the ball out of his hands, um, you know, to help his line out, uh, as well as I do think that they're going to continue to be there. I think they're going to continue to lean into it to trying to run the football and not being great at it. It was super bizarre there- to watch them last year where you always think like, where is it? Student body left. You, you have the jerseys, right? They're, they're handing the ball to the running back. The running back has the four and five star pedigree. And it was just like by the second game, Rob on the show, we're just like, Oh my God, USC can't run the football. <laughs> this is nuts. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of that was on the line or, or maybe not Hithliday. What, what did you think about their run blocking and, and the, whether or not they're going to be able to keep him upright? And uh, there are some intriguing pieces on the offensive line, but what do you think? Uh, there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, let me talk about the running backs real quick. Um, the, the interesting thing is there's a huge discrepancy between their per play efficiency numbers at running the ball and their actual yards per carry average. Um, they're a very efficient team in terms of getting the, on in any given play, given the down and distance, getting enough yardage. And I think that's because they have very talented running backs and a ton of them. Um, the, uh, on the other hand, they do not get explosive runs at all. They are one of the worst teams in the in the country at getting uh, explosive runs, which obviously is dragging their yards per carry average down. It's at 3.93, which is not good. Um, so that's a, a weird discrepancy. So there's an argument to be made that they should be running more because their efficiency is so high, and there's an argument to be made they should be running less because they're not getting nearly as many yards per play out of it. So, uh, you know, it's kind of strange. I think the solution to the, the reason why they play the running backs that they do is probably more about their um, ability in, in um, pass protect. Uh, they are giving the most reps to the guys who can, who are best at keeping uh, blitzers away Away from Slovis, um, and I think that's actually that matches the data better than anything else. Um, and it sort of now, on I don't really think they're great at doing that. It's one of the problems when it comes to the offensive line. Actually, we really need to be talking about the running backs in in pass pro as well. Um, but I think that's how they're making their decisions now to the offensive line. I agree that the offensive line has a lot of um, weird issues. Uh, I think it's weird that they're pushing guards out to tackles in Vera Tucker and McKenzie. Um, they, uh, I thought that uh, Voorhees um, wasn't bad uh, as a left guard, but he missed all of 2019 with an injury. And this is, you know, not a great season to be coming back from injury and not have a bunch of, you know, fall and spring camp in order to practice with. Um, I was not wild about Jimmins as a right guard. who's backup right guard last year uh wasn't wild when i got to see him play um uh i, I thought vera tucker was a good left guard but i uh, you know I, he's hadn't as far as i can tell never played tackle before so a lot of question marks there and then the center brett nealon why well, stars i i think he might be the weakest center in the pac-12 and i mean like physically weakest like he gets run over all the damn time like i'm pretty sure that rob could get past brett nealon um <laughs> He it, just steps it, over him. He's just so tall. Like it's it's I mean, it's crazy to watch. And like and, and listen, here's the deal about this offense. I, I sort of think that the the offense one of the reasons why USC had a very good offense in uh, 2019, despite some problems, uh, is that the it was a good schematic fit for the talent that they had. You know, like we were talking about last time with Stanford, where they, they have a similar talent profile, but they have the wrong offense for it. This is the right offense for it. Get the ball out of the quarterback's hands real quick to very talented uh, wide receivers. Um, and, and if you do that, it kind of doesn't matter how good your tackles are at, at blocking you know guys coming around the edge because it's going to take them three seconds to get there and the ball's out of the guy's hands in two seconds. 
if you can run over the center, you can get to the quarterback in two seconds. And a lot of teams, that was, in my opinion, much bigger reason that BYU beat USC than the, than the, you know, rushing three, dropping eight thing was they were getting pressure with three because they were running over Nealon. And if that doesn't change, like they could, you know, I think everybody now that they've had a year to like ruminate on that game film, I think you're going to see double A get blitzes, um, you know, coming right for Slovis and they're, you know, that, that would be my defensive strategy. I guess I'll put it that way. I can't really predict that they're going to fall off. That would be silly. But I think there's a blueprint to beat USC. The one thing to keep in mind is USC has recruited fairly well, not not up to the Pete Carroll level uh, when it comes to offensive line recruiting, but a, a decent amount. They have about four or five blue chip players out of the 2018 to 2020 class, one of them being the number one center of 2018, uh, Justin Dietrich. So it'll be interesting to see if he actually sees the field um, when you Brian, I, I really disagree with you. I, I You're right about Dietrich. He's the backup that they've identified. The rest of the talent I am not sold on. Um, it's kind of weird. They only have two other four stars in the roster. One of them is uh, Frank Martin, who's a redshirt senior. He's never seen the field. I think it's probably safe to say he's a bust. The other guys, uh, uh, Rodriguez and Monheim, are both freshmen. And the rest, I'm not kidding, the rest of the room are three stars, like, and low three stars. And they've never played it down. A ton of them came in the 2020 class because they're trying to make up for lost ground. Hell, they might play the Juco, Bernard Shermer, who the last time we saw him, he was getting banned from his league for punching a ref, although that might have been accidental. Oh, that was Uh, him. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, no, they're in real deep trouble uh, in terms of depth. I don't think they can afford an injury at all. Ooh. What do you think? Uh, what do you think, Rob? No, I think your play is right. I mean, I think you're you're going to limit, you know, like you, you're going to see USC, you know, maybe even having to switch into you know 20 personnel if they have enough trouble coming in through the A gap to help, you know, to help pick up and keep Slovis clean. Um, like, I don't know that they're going to have an alternative, though that will put you into a lot of trouble. Uh, when you know you have, if, if you're able to do that and have, you know, seven guys covering three pretty well. <laughs> so I, I think it's, I think you're right, but I think it's more likely to be 11 personnel, but seven man protect. And then they, but then the problem with that is that they're sacrificing uh, Drake London um, from the wide receivers, Y receiver slot. And, and that's like, that was a big part of their offense last year when they figured out, you know, his value. So, yeah. And that kind of goes into what we were talking about. And you mentioned the pass blocking from the running back, whether or not they could, you know, pick up the blitz. And one of the reasons, and I forget what, there was a couple of players where we were listening to the Rain Detroit podcast. We we're like, oh, I'm curious if we see this running back on the field or this running back on the field. And basically they're like, nope, <laughs> they, they, they cannot pick up those blitzes. And that's why we're not seeing them out, you know, you know, doing damage on the offensive side, just because they're not going to be able to protect Slovis while he's out there. Does that make sense yeah, to you? Great. It was crazy. You know, Marquis Stepp um, was, I believe, their most effective running back, qua running back, but he couldn't pass protect to save his life. Malapea was much better at that. His yards per carry is one of the you know worst in the Pac-12, but Malapea is getting the starts because the premium in this offense is on keeping the quarterback upright, not running the ball. All right, well, let's flip over to the other side. But first, we have a few messages here. The first one is from my bookie. And between the NFL, college ball, and major league playoffs, if you watched that Dodger game, whoo, buddy, last week, that was, that was pretty exciting. There's no shortage of games to watch with thousands of lines available and all your favorite sports and events. You can turn to your game day into a payday with MyBookie. And MyBookie's been sponsoring 12-Pack Radio for more than a year and very thankful for them. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet on the big favorites, throw down a sleazy part lazy. See if you get a big payout. Uh, throw down some underdogs, get some big value. Uh, game spreads, championship futures, prop bets. It's never too late to get in on the action and turning your sports knowledge into actual cash and 
And right now, if you sign up at MyBookie and you use the promo code OVERTIME, O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E, to claim a deposit, uh, you get, you're going to get matched dollar for dollar, all the way up to 1000 bucks. It's a bonus decided to give you a little bit of help and a head start on your winning season. That's the promo code OVERTIME for you to claim your dollar for dollar bonus up to $1,000 when you make your deposit. Stacked UFC cards, presidential prop bets, other major sports, cricket, golf, ping pong, Rob. We've, we've talked about ping pong on this podcast. Get in there. Use the promo code OVERTIME. Get your deposit matched at my bookie. All right, we got one more thing for you. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we're back. We're talking to USC defense, which is a... Well, let, let's sum up the offense here, Rob. If you like, if we're playing NCAA football, what grade are you giving this USC offensive unit? I think I think that you have to give them an A. I mean, they're not in the A plus range. I mean, the A plus range is maybe like the the offense that you should think of when you think of this year is is Alabama right now. Um, but they're definitely going to be one of the uh, you think of as you know one of the better offenses in college football, and you know likely just from the pure projection standpoint, point you know the best offense in the Pac-12 this you know this year. Um, so you it's a it's definite it's a very nice club to have in your bag, right? Um, if you are USC to have the, you know, have this offense uh, and something to build on. Ah, Hithliday. All right. Rob has USC getting into Dartmouth, not Yale, but Dartmouth, you know, with the A. Uh, what do you got? What, what grade are you going to give him? Oh, I give him an A minus because I think they're, I, I agree with Rob that it's uh, going to be a very good offense. I think that there are vulnerabilities. I, I think this is a flawed, a talented but flawed team. I think USC fans will be the first ones to tell you that. And, uh, and uh, you know, in between, in between the fact that they want to be a really efficiency offense, that they really want to march down the field and will immediately make uh, quick throws, um, you can sort of bait them into marching down the field. Like, go back and watch. Listener, pull up the Oregon versus USC 2019 game on ESPN. Look at the play-by-play. Look at USC's first touchdown drive. It's 17 plays long. They convert five third downs. They have a 15-yard penalty. They have a crazy play uh, to get the touchdown on third down. Uh that's what's necessary for USC to score against a good defense. They have to, you know, they've really got to grind it out against you and against the good defenses in the PAC 12, who knows how many there are of those, uh, they kind of know how to beat them. So I, I can't give them the full throw today plus, but, uh, against most of the defenses in, in the league. Yeah. They'll run right through them. Hot knife, like through butter. Okay. Hithliday hasn't going to UCLA with the a minus there. I can appreciate good public school, uh, heading on into the defense here. We have, um, just a bunch of stories here. Obviously we talked about Orlando coming in to change that defense. Let's start with the big uglies and the defensive line here, Rob, who stands out. Are they going to be able to get to the quarterback? Because like we kind of mentioned, they had some interesting players and, the if you were watching the USC games, the announcers would oftentimes kind of focus on the guys up the middle, but sometimes that was a problem for USC. What do, what do you think? I think the I think the first thing you have to talk about when you talk about this I mean, is the, the switch to a three man front, um, and, and that J T Fele has opted out because I don't know in this three man front if they have anyone that can play two gap. 
Uh, and that's going to be a problem <laughs> for this team. Uh, if they don't have, if they don't have it, you, you can become in a three man, three man front without anybody down the middle that can really control the A or B gap. You can be in a lot of trouble. And the A and B uh, gap, let, let, just to clarify for our listeners, uh, what is the A and B gap? So the A and B, the A gap's right off, is in between the center of the guard. The B gap is in between the guard and the tackle. So you're saying, um, so so in plain English, what are you saying? What was your biggest concern with them? So in, in a three-man, so the first the first thing you decide about as you're like, hey, what kind of defense are you going to be? Are we going to be a one-gap or a two-gap team? <laughs> if you're playing a three-man front, you really do need somebody up there that could play two-gap. Um, and I don't, I mean, you know, Tufele was a guy that I thought could do it. Um, perhaps because like in a three-man front, like in, in this tight front, like you're, you're hoping to be able to contain your interior runs using your three linemen, um, you know, and then be able to, but you know, th- those guys are often space eaters, right? Um, you know, freeing up, you know, the, you know, freeing up linebackers that are coming in on blitzes. I just, I'm, I am a little concerned because I don't think, I mean, USC has been in, you know, they, they, they said they were in a three, four, they had the, whatever the predator, you know, the predator was really just a, you know, a rush end, um, you know, on the field, they were really in a four man front, um, you know, I, and they've recruited really to that. This is this is also, you know, one of the things that I mean, his own players really came out and laid into Orlando on at Texas was that he his scheme was not matched up well to the players, and he was inflexible about it. Ooh, um, that's not good. Right. <laughs> so I have, I mean, I have. That's like, I mean, there, there's some really nice. I mean, like Drake Jackson is a really, really nice piece, right? Like probably the second best freshman, you know, defensive end in the conference last year. You know, th- there's there's some guys. But he's not that, a defensive end anymore. They moved him right. to outside linebacker because that's the nature of the tight front. Yeah, I mean, like, because you he, you need him to be able like to be an effect, like to be an an all out pass rusher. You know, like you're you can't be on the line. Really right, but that's the thing that's the tight fronts a spill and kill philosophy. The point yeah. is that you you have a totally solidified interior run defense, and you bounce everything to the outside where yep. you're phenomenal, supposedly offensive or excuse me, outside linebackers. You know, come at you are sort of roving the field all around the flats, and then you know when the run bounces outside, they come down and kill it, uh, and you know they're they're guarding the flats or whatever, like. It's sort of an interesting question. How Drake, I agree with you. Drake Jackson is a phenomenal defensive end. I think he's one of the best in the Pac-12. I think he's one of the few actually legitimate defensive line players uh, in the Pac-12. He's not a defensive lineman anymore. You're asking him to run around and play this whole field. I don't know if he can do that. Well, I guess yep. we're going to find out. Oh, buddy. Looking at some of the other personnel here, Hithliday, does anybody stand out for you in, in regards to causing some problems, whether it's pressuring the quarterback or stopping the run? Well, I I would echo what uh, Rob said about uh, you know let's find out who the nose tackle is going to be. I, I would have to guess it's Brandon Peely. He's the biggest guy yeah. on the team. He's also the the lowest rated uh, of the you know he's a mid three star in the 2017 class. And I frankly wasn't super thrilled with him watching him on film in 2019. Um, I like Marlon Tuipolo too. Uh, they were probably playing some guys who were backups last year, Tremblay and Figueroa. Um, uh, the only other guy who's, you know, pretty big is Trevor Trout. I don't think we saw him last year. Um, I mean, there are some guys, there's some four-star dudes, um, but kind of the nature of this defensive front doesn't really highlight them too much. Like it's the, the, the pass rush, you know, is when they decide to blitz. Um, and, uh, I, I don't, I, 
it, it remains to be seen how that blitz structure is going to work. And Rob is right. The, the Texas players simply didn't like it. Um, and, uh, yeah, Orlando's, you know, I, I, Orlando's got a real mixed history. You know, he's got, uh, you know, a bunch of defenses over the course of his career that were excellent. He's got a bunch of defenses over the course of his career that were terrible and got him fired. Yeah. Like, um, and, and if you're going through a pretty fundamental schematic change in a pandemic year, like I kind of think the, the, you are going to tend toward the latter, even though they've got a ton of talent. I mean, he had a ton of talent in Texas and I had the, gave up the 104th most explosive plays in the country. So when you take a look on paper, uh, Jay Tufele and Mar- Marlon Tuipolotu, one of the things that the announcers would say, oh, these guys, these guys up in the middle, and they, they would they'd hammer both of them. And it seemed like um, when we were watching the game, Jay Tufele was the stronger of the two. Uh, Tuipolotu, though, same size minus about 10 pounds. What what can he not do that Tufele uh, may have been able to do if he was in the center of that line? I mean, below two, he's great. I mean, he had like 12 tacks for loss and like seven sacks last year, a forced fumble. He had, weirdly enough, pass breakups. Like I, th- I think he was the guy who saved the Arizona State game. Um, uh, I might be thinking of somebody else. But like, I, I, I just am not sure that this is the, you know, when you put that in a three down front, that's not how that type of player is used. So I, I really have a hard time predicting what these guys' numbers are going to look like next year. Okay. Rob, do you have any any answer to that? Because, like, right, we're kind of, like, looking around going, who's going to be in the center? You do have some big guys. I mean, we mentioned Peely, who Hitlade wasn't super excited about. Um, you have Trevor Trout, who was a top 60 national, uh, the number three defensive tackle, period, all, all of 2019 uh, as a high school player. He comes in. And then you do have Tui Pelotu, who's big. But uh, what gives you some pause about thinking he can fill in that spot? I'm just I'm not sure that these I'm not sure that these guys can control those interior gaps effectively on their own. And if they're if they don't, you know, then it's it's going to be some tough sledding, I think, either to generate pass rush or to um, be able to control the interior run. I mean, the Um, thing is that Clancy Pendergast was there for a long time and he was recruiting dudes you know, who uh, of a very different sort of profile. And all of these guys are older. They're all redshirt seniors, redshirt juniors. Um, and like, they just haven't practiced two gapping before. And it is historically when you are making this kind of scheme change, even very talented players, like you don't, you don't do this overnight. All right. That, that's fine. And, and Hithliday, who do you have as the starting three up front? I, my guess would be Peely, Tremblay and Tui Pelotu. Okay. That sounds good. Tremblay, 16 tackles, three tackles for a loss. He was a top 15 defensive end of 2018, uh, but really the focus was on Drake Jackson last year, as we mentioned, moves into the linebacking core, which, uh, I mean, Rob, we've talked about this. Holy Moses. Um, On paper, USC did a really good job recruiting the linebackers, and I think it was one of the disappointing units of last year. Did you have that same opinion? Yeah, I mean, it, it is tough because they had that that all world linebacking class where they, it, you know, they signed so many great guys. Um, you know, those guys were younger last season, right? I mean, like you know, sophomores, um, and, and they were sitting behind some, you know, serviceable guys. But you know, Houston, you know, there's some guys that really kind of struggled out on the field. I think last season, um, you know, they struggled. I mean, their front seven really struggled. I mean, this this. This is this is part of what gives me pause about converting into this three-four tight front. I mean, and really too, like we say three-four. I mean, you're going to spend the majority of your snaps in at least nickel, 
Um, you know, so with Drake Jackson coming back, I mean, they may only have two spots for, you know, linebackers on the field on a lot of, I mean, what were their linebackers on the field on a lot of plays that said, I mean, the actual honest to goodness talent that they're, that they're going to be able to cram into those spots is, is, is quite good. I mean, the, you know, uh, Pele Gaiote, uh, I think I'm saying that right. Pele Gaiote. Ah, well, Anyway, I mean, just remarkably talented. I mean, they've they've got some significantly talented guys that I think are, you know, I, that I like to be able to, you know, really put, you know, I think start to put it together a little more. And they're, you know, I I even expect them to have a little a little depth here, you know, with maybe even having Hunter Eccles behind uh, Drake Jackson. You know, that they're I, I think that they're going to be a little more set here than they are uh, on on the you know on the line. But these guys might be might end up being asked to do a lot. You know, yeah. in this defense, Rob's right about the the, the problem with Clancy Pendergast's defense with the, you know the four two five defense was they had a ton of great linebackers and they just didn't have any spots for them on the field because only had two linebackers on the field at any given time and one of them was going to be the senior John Houston whom Rob is right about had it was it had a pretty disappointing senior year. Um, the actually I sort of think this defense it has it, it, at the very least in that it has more linebacker spots which fits the fact they have a bunch of linebacker talent may be an improvement here I would say the two inside linebacker starters are probably Noteote and Mauga uh, with Winston and Goforth as uh, backups unfortunately they got some bad injury news um, Tulia Pupu and Iasefa uh, both appear to be missing the season with surgeries um, Tulia Pupu was like a high four star Iasefa was like a mid three star but like everybody in the team loves him uh so that's unfortunate um and then on on the outside um hunter eccles was sort of the victim uh he was had a great 2018 and they sort of reorganized their linebacker core in 2019 he got turned into a pass rush specialist which they didn't use him very much i think he's going to be pretty good uh outside linebacker either complementary to jackson or behind him and they have some depth too uh abdul malik mclean a brother of the wide receiver and juliana falanico I, you know i i think that's a very good core of uh both inside and outside linebackers um and i, I think it will be a real help to them in making the scheme switch. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if they actually did honor the three, four and, and played less nickel than they did last year. Um, and to put four linebackers on the field, it wouldn't be a bad move. So who do you think the star is going to be? Gao Teote was really supposed to be the guy that stepped up. And like Rob said, he was younger, right? Underclassman, uh, five-star kid um, <clears throat> and had an okay year. I think if you ask any USC um, anybody that followed USC, I think they were expecting more out of him in the linebacking core. Is he going to be the star? Who's the person that you think is going to step out as being like, wow, that kid is awesome? Uh, probably. Uh, probably him. Um, the, the problem the problem is in a tight front, you might not see it because the whole point of an inside linebacker is supposed to run forward real fast at the run. Um, you know, it, it, it's a little less sexy. Uh, so you might not see it, but the, the talent was obvious uh, on field. He went through like, you know, he's a, he is now a junior in 2018, 2019. There were different linebacker schemes. As I said, they sort of reorganized their linebacker core under Pendergast in the last two years. And then it, it will be a third, you know, sort of reorganization. So if he, He's not as productive as you would expect him to be for being like a flippant. I mean, he's like close to a one, you know, in the in the two four seven. Uh, you know, it would probably just because the scheme is going to mask that. Uh, that would be my guess. Okay, Rob, we talked about deep recruiting at the linebacking position, also deep recruiting in the secondary. And one of the things that we were really fascinated by going into the 2019-2020 season was, all right, you got all these like 
pedig- like blue chip players all over the field on the secondary and the safeties and the corners. How are they going to perform? How did they perform when it comes to an advanced metric standpoint? I mean, they were decent. I mean, compared to their run numbers, they were decent against, I mean, this is like damning with faint praise. They were decent against the pass last year, number 43 at effective pass. Um, you know, they finished at 71 in effective rush. So their, their pass number was definitely the better of the two. I mean, last year, you know, last year was all like USC ended up in this weird cycle where year before last, they lost a ton of production off the offense and the offense then struggled this last year where they lost a ton of production off the defense and, and really a lot, even in the secondary. Um, and, you know, unsurprisingly, they struggled. We didn't expect them to struggle this much um, there, but part of it too, is that they, they didn't have, I mean, they didn't have great pass rush, but I mean, they had some decent players. I mean, I think Greg Johnson's pretty good, you know, and they, they, you know, uh, Funga is also, you know, really solid at one of the safety spots. I mean, I think that they've got some players that I, I, I think their, their pass defense in particular, um, should make a big improvement this year. And in some ways, I mean, Orlando, I mean, it's, it's funny. Like we talk about Orlando. I mean, they were like, they were a like within a whisker of signing Dave Aranda. And then he got that Baylor job late. Right. I mean, like, how would we be talking about this USC squad with them saying it was signing Dave Aranda and then Sean Snyder in this year? I mean, Clay Helton would look like a genius. Um, and I know that's like weird to say out loud. You know, the fact that they had to bounce back and find Orlando, I do. I mean, I just I expect that they're going to get better, um, you know, just simply because those guys were really thrown into the fire a little bit last year. I do think that they I do think that outside of Drake Jackson, I think that they struggled to generate some pass rush effectively, which is it seems quixotic to say about USC. But I think they did. I mean, I think Tufele had his like individual moments, uh, but he also went MIA a lot on the field. Um, and so I think that they're, they're, you know, their past defenders are, are pretty good. I think they're going to benefit from the, you know, another, the year that they had, you know, playing last year. Um, and I expect them to improve. Well, let's start with the safeties here, Hithliday, because it's not often we break them down by, by position, but I just think there's so much intriguing talent on the field. You have Isaiah Polamau and Talano Hafunga, who are both uh, players that came in, and, and USC fans were really, really excited about them. Hafunga certainly was the player that stood out. Uh, I, I think there were some times where you know he, he'd give up a play, but there's also times where he just blew up plays too. What do you think about the safeties coming into this year? I, I love Hufanga. Um, I can't believe Oregon didn't get him. Uh, it breaks my heart. And, and also, he was, you know, he, he got injured a lot last year. And despite that, he still pulled in 141 tackles. Like, yeah, that guy's excellent. He really tied the defense together. Um, and I think he's a, if they do go to a 3 4 and give up the nickel, he's going to survive it. I think that Greg Johnson is the guy who, uh, the, the nickel safety is probably the guy who take, who, who's taken off the field in those circumstances. But you'd have excellent depth there. That's the other thing. You know, Polamau uh, was a, you know, very good tackler uh, as well uh, at the free safety position. And you'd, you know, you'd be deep for days. I mean, this is, this is really the position group that pulls USC's, um, uh, team talent composite really high up. Like they 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 run like 
these are serious four stars. They're not like borderline 0.89s. You're talking about 0.95s, 0.96s, 0.98s. Like they're, and they've got like eight or nine of them. Like it's crazy, you know, how deep they are uh, at this position. It was fairly young last year. I think they did pretty well, all things considered, given how young they were. I think they'll be, you know, a little bit better. Uh, you know, they've got a, they had a good three man rotation with Griffin, Taylor, Stewart, and Steele at cornerback. Um, uh, I expect that to continue, maybe get Dorian Hewitt uh, into the mix a little bit more too. Um, you know, I, it's a deep position. I, I, I don't have a whole ton of intelligence to say about it. I don't, I, I, I think, you know, problems that they had are probably better explained by youth and injury than, uh, than anything else. And, uh, I, I think they, and they've got two, you know, as far as I can tell, very good defensive backs coaches in Nivar and Williams. So, uh, I, I think this unit will probably take a step forward if no other reason than they're older and very talented. Let's take your ducks off the table, Hithliday. Uh, and when it comes to secondaries, where would you rank USC's secondary coming into this year? Uh, I would probably say they're a little behind Washington simply because Washington features their defensive backs so much. Like that's a defensive back led defense and you know, their head coach used to be their DBs coach. Um, that's a very talented unit too. Um, it's, it's a, they're lower four stars, but they're still four stars. Um, uh, so I put them a little bit behind Washington, um, but they're, I mean, I, I, they're certainly more talented than any other defensive back group in the league. Yeah, I would say that's probably it, right? When it comes to when it comes to looking at what they could produce if they put everything together. So that's uh, a pretty solid. Any anything else you want to mention, Rob, when it comes to the corners or the safeties or the secondary? No, no, I I agree. I mean, I, I I like the unit. I think they approve it. If they approve here, it could it could help their pass rush as well. I, mean, I, I, I really think the that way. they're they're deep and effective enough that they could you know, give up the nickel and go to a three, four. And that would be very interesting to see. Not a lot of three, fours in the pack 12 anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, USC, by the way, ended the season eight and five on the year. We'll see if they can improve on that with a smaller uh, number of games, uh, but increase that percentage here. Let's go to another team that ended up eight and five. And that's the Washington Huskies. They come into the season uh, with, with some hype, you know, new coaching change uh, all around. I guess we should start with the coaching changes themselves, Rob. Um, well, actually, t- tell us what the numbers said first, and then we'll get into the coaching. All right, so Washington, up and down year last year, but they finished out at number 16 overall in beta rank, um, which I you know, I think is reflective of, of you know, some of the highs uh, as well as some of the lows that they had. But their, their offense really just stuck in the mud for another year, uh, finished out at number 38 overall in beta rank. A pretty solid drive efficiency number. That that was really good for them. They were able to put together long drives uh, and score points. But 53 in explosive drives, just not enough big plays. Too many negative drives, too many three and outs. Um, pretty decent run pass split. Uh, number 28 in effective pass. Um, you know, 64 in effective rush. I think that they really, their offensive line, they've had some hidden struggles that Miles Gaskin covered up for um, with some uh, yards after contact. And I like Ahmed, but I don't think he was able to to cover up as effectively for it. And I think that they were really actually a little hurt when Newton was injured because Newton was a little bit more of a banger uh, that could have helped them out. They uh, they do, of course, bring in the new offensive coordinator and Donovan, a, out of, a little bit of an out-of-left-field hire. All right, well, let's get into the personnel here. Um, and we'll talk about the quarterback first. Hivliday, who's it going to be? Uh, I, my understanding is that it is a two man race between, uh, Jacob Sermon, um, and, uh, Dylan Morris. Both of those guys were four stars coming out of high school. Um, two, 
here's the confusing part. Uh, the To watch their high school highlight reels on Huddle, you would think that this would be no contest because Jacob Sturman looks like a golden god. He is throwing the ball all over the field, and it's incredible. Um, of course, over the time they've been in, uh, he's been there. They brought in two different transfer quarterbacks, Jacob Beeson and Kevin Thompson from the FCS ranks. So I'm not sure why he hasn't locked the do- jo- job down, especially because when I watch Dylan Morris's huddle film, he's got like a sub Browning arm attached to him. Like he is really pushing that ball and he can't get it more than 10 yards down the field. The fact that it's still a contest, the way that it's been described to me is that Dylan Morris has a hell of a football brain for a quarterback and just not the arm of a, a top level quarterback. And that Jacob Sermon is probably the other way around. He's probably got some decision making problems that's why he hasn't locked the job down yet it sort of opens the door for maybe the red shirt or excuse me true freshman from the 2020 class ethan garbers a relative of the cal quarterback or the fcs uh, transfer that i mentioned kevin thompson um from sac state uh who if tales from camp are to be believed is the is really in the mix for the job and might be leading for it um i i will go out on a limb and say that Thompson's going to win the job. And, uh, you know, you never really know with an FCS transfer quarterback. You could be getting a Vernon Adams. You could be getting a Dakota Prukop. All right. A little bit of a, a little bit of a Pac-12 connection there with the, the former offensive coordinator of Utah being the Sacramento State head coach as he transfers back over to Washington. That'll be interesting to see. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that. It's kind of hard to project how each quarterback is going to be if we haven't really seen them uh, on the fields play in significant minutes. But it is certainly a contest over there. I guess we can flip over to the let's go to the offensive line here on and who's going to keep them upright. You know, one of the things that we looked at, Rob, when it came to the offensive line last year with Washington was like, okay, they return a lot of people, and that's that could be exciting. And um, and Hithliday, I know that you had some reservations about the, the said players that were coming back. And uh, let's start with you, Rob. What was the final verdict on whether or not that line was able to really be what all it could be? That line was not good. It is true. Like Miles Gaskin was really underappreciated for all of his yards after contact work um, that he did bailing out that line because they really struggled. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I, I am, I was surprised. I mean, I'm just surprised that they've kept the continuity at the offensive line coach. They certainly are recruiting well enough that they should be a lot better. Um, it's not something that's like full on schematic where the quarterbacks, I mean, I think the offense, I think the offense was overly complex but i also don't think that the quarterbacks were holding the ball so long that it was you know really on them for you know some of the struggles that the line had i think they you know i i just and they lose they lose a ton i mean they they do not have a lot of returning production there i mean if if it was i'll say this like oregon loses all five you know i think oregon fans are very excited about you know some of the players that they have in i think anytime you lose a lot of production on the offensive line you still have to have a little bit of a mileage may vary there's going to be some variance around what the outcomes might be with washington you're losing a lot and i just i just don't love how they're being coached and that is a big concern for me if i'm a washington fan with Donovan coming in because he's not being gifted a really solid power five line to work behind. Yeah. And everything's relative, right? Like we're, we're joking a little bit about Washington. Uh, their offensive line was better than a lot of offensive lines in the PAC 12, but it wasn't yeah. up to the level. I think that we were expecting. Is that a fair assessment? Hithliday? 
Uh, yeah, I think it's fair. I, you know, I, I think, you know, part of that is probably Trey Adams uh, repeated injury uh, situation. But I, honestly, I, you know, I said it earlier, I, I just am not wild about Scott Huff as a developer. It, you know, it's funny because the, their previous offensive line coach, I think, was the other way around. He wasn't a great uh, recruiter, but he was a hell of a developer. Um, the, 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 the other weird thing about Washington's offensive line group, well, two things to say. Number one is that they bring back two guys, um, Wattenberg and Kirkland. I think Kirkland is way better than Wattenberg. They're going to be, I think, playing both of them out of position. I think they're going to, they're both, were the, they were the left and right guard um, for a couple of years. I, I think they're going to move um, uh, one of them over to left tackle and the other one over to center. It remains to be seen how uh, that is going to go. The other kind of crazy thing about uh, Washington's situation is that, actually, let me broaden a little bit. There's a very interesting question about how Jimmy Lake is going to be as a head coach. One of the criticisms that I have for Chris Peterson is I don't think he managed his roster super well. And I think one, you know, exhibit A for this is probably the wide receiver group in which I think everybody observed that they had a bizarre loyalty to, you know, senior wide receivers who couldn't catch the ball and they weren't playing the four star freshmen that they brought in who were, you know, potentially could light the world on fire. Um, I, and I think you sort of see that at a bunch of different unit groups throughout Washington for 2020 where there is a philosophical question about whether or not they're going to play the older established three stars or the hot shot inexperienced four stars and an offensive line is an example of that you know they have guys like Henry Bainavalu and Matteo Mele and uh, Victor Kern and Ulumu Ale who are you know they're not particularly highly rated they may turn out to be great although with Scott Huff developing them I have questions about that they also have some amazing four stars that they brought in Julius Bulo and Nate Kalepo and in the true freshman, they have Roger Rosengarten and Garen Hatchett. Um, there's a couple other guys that I'm uh, forgetting, like uh, Miles Morale at center. Um, like there's a version of this offensive line where they go for it, you know, like maybe Jimmy Lake's new man um, and and says, let's go for, you know, these, these super stud freshmen and see what we can get out of this offensive line. It's a, you know, 2020 is going to be a weird kind of mulligan year anyway. Let's do it. And there's another version of this team uh, in which he sort of continues the Chris Peterson highly conservative culture and, you know, plays the guys who, you know, earned it, so to speak. Um, in which case, I, I would not really be thrilled at the prospects for this line. I don't know how it's going to go. I really don't. I'm really interested to find out. Yeah, all those players that you mentioned, uh, the new the newcomers, all top thirty in their in their position uh, nationally that came into, and some of them top ten by the way that came into Washington. Some some interesting pieces to keep a lookout for. Let's talk about whether or not they can run block here for a running back. Uh, they lose uh, Salvan Ahmed. They bring in Richard Newton, who they don't bring him in. He was already there. I was actually really impressed with Newton when I saw him run. Rob, you mentioned that he was kind of a banger. That uh, he had a number of impressive runs where he'd get hit the first time and then just kind of slammed his way through and I'm like oh my gosh that guy's pretty good um they also have a couple other pieces here Sean McGrew returns Cameron Davis was a top 10 running back uh who comes in uh, who had offers from USC Cal Colorado they have some other pieces here what do you think about the running back court no I, I really like you know I, I and I think a lot of Washington fans I mean there, there's a lot to like here I think if the line plays like they have the last couple of years then Newton's probably your guy Right. I mean, he, and he should be, I mean, he's, he's the guy that can get in there, break tackles, you know, get yards, um, you know, even when he's not, you know, he's not getting the best blocking up front. Um, you know, and if, and then you can, you know, you, then you can bring in the others as a change of pace behind him. I think that would work, uh, you know, for them, 
they're thinking of the the joke of among in analytics, of course, like one of the running jokes is like running backs don't matter. Uh, I mean, they matter, but like your offensive line matters much more for your running game. <laughs> and so like, I, I like the talent if you're, I mean, you're, you're sort of like, but Newton, I think Newton, Newton should end up, if they go with that, if they go with someone other than Newton, you know, behind this, you know, the line, you know, place to the form that they have been in. I actually, I think the running game could be in some trouble. Um, you know, the, the flip side of that though, is it's a line outperforms then you know, your, your options really open up and maybe they do go with one of the speedier backs. Just some numbers for you. So 500 yards last year for Richard Newton, 4.3 yards per carry, 10 touchdowns on the season, which was mm-hmm. pretty solid. McGrew had the better yards per carry with at 6.2, one touchdown and about 350 yards. So, um, some interesting pieces and some younger talent behind them. Hithliday, what do you think about the running attack? I think it's fine. I don't think any of them was Miles Gaskin. You know, I think Rob hit the nail on the head is that, you know, Gaskin covered up for a lot of problems. Um, and this will, you know, this will be almost entirely determined by the offensive line and very little determined by the running backs. I don't think the running backs are going to hold them back. I don't think the running backs are going to, you know, pull off magic tricks. Um, I think it's fine. There is a world maybe where Newton takes a step forward. Like, you know, we've talked, I'm not saying that he is Zach Moss. I am not saying that. Um, uh, and I'm not saying that uh, he's Miles Gaskin, but th- th- what I am saying is that there is a scenario where he's going to be able to bang forward for a couple more yards and be the featured back for them. Uh, do you see a scenario where that could happen? I think if that were going to happen, we would have seen a little more last year. It was 4.26 yards per carry that, you know, the Zach Moss, Christopher Brown type of, you know, Yakko back, as I call him, the the guy who t- turns what would have been a failed play if he went down on first contact, but he doesn't like usually those guys are more like 5.5. Um, so and on the other hand, he was a freshman last year, so it remains to be seen. Yeah, and keep a lookout for Cameron Davis, the top 10 back again of 2019. See if he can push his way into the depth chart there. Uh, let's move over to the wide receivers because whew, we just talked about the young talent and uh, the emergence of Puka Nakua. You have Marquis Spiker, Jordan Chin, uh, Taj Davis, Austin Osborne. Uh, most of those guys are four-star players. I think the the lone player being Taj Davis, who was a top 50 wide receiver, but a three-star here. Some young talent that returns, and I'm just curious, Rob, to see if Washington is going to be able to get the ball to them because uh, I, I can I understand the optimism from our friends in Seattle because some of these players are quite talented. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that there are. I mean, if you know Nakua looked like an absolute star when he got onto the field, um, you know, he was only able to pull down seven catches. Uh, you know, last year, but uh, you know, it felt electric when he was out there before the um, injury. Yeah, it wasn't like yeah. that was all he. Yeah, he... Um, yeah. I mean, there's there's definitely some players to really like. I think what's interesting to see here is, I mean, uh, I think Hippolyte uh, is right. I think Otten is still their best player. Um, I don't know that Don. I mean, what does this offense sort of look like? Right, like a lot of that Boise offense sort of that uh, Peterson brought with them and continued to run here. Um, although even though Jonathan Smith didn't fully run that ran through the tight ends in a lot of ways and, and Washington developed and had really good tight ends there. I mean, I think Otten's still going to be on the field there as, you know, as one of their primary pass catchers that, that said that that should free up. I mean, Otten should, you know, be enough of a matchup problem. Um, it may be able to free up, you know, the wide receivers on the outside in particular um, or free up, you know, the, uh, you know, the slot receiver coming across where the safety has to focus on Otten. Um, and is put into an untenable position and someone else is coming open. Um, so there, there is an opportunity, I think, to build off what they do with Otten, um, you know, and some of the really 
talented young players that they have, you know, you know, here to, to, to go with. Hithliday, we are backing up on an hour here. Anything you want to add on the wide receivers outside of uh, the young and bustling talent they could be? Uh, the other thing I'll throw out is, um, well, two things. Uh, Ty Jones, they get back from injury. Uh, I liked him in 2018 as an outside receiver. I think they wish they would have had him last year um, when they were having problems at outside receiver. Um, Charles Bynum uh, has 31 catches last year. It was all short stuff. That's the thing that I noticed on my tally sheet. He's like their second most ex- experienced receiver behind Ty Jones. Um, and, you know, but it was never really g- going deep down the field. Um, I-, I am curious, too, to see what this passing offense looks like, if they're going to be taking deep shots, because it's all there on paper. But, I mean, I'm not kidding. The rest of this wide receiver room has 15 catches in their career. Um they really haven't, you know, shown it anywhere other than on paper um, and in high school. The other thing that's curious is that uh, I agree t- Kate Otten is great. Um, they lost uh, Hunter Bryant, who was kind of a curious tight end um, uh, in, in that he wasn't really a tight end. He was really just sort of a slot receiver who but who was taller and ran all over the place. Uh, he uh, attempted to go to the NFL. Um, they got a couple interesting – Jacob Kaiser uh, was another traditional tight end. He decided to opt out. They, they will probably run multiple tight end sets that's sort of what it sounded like coming out of camp they have some interesting options um they have uh but they're very young um mark redman and jack gary the usc convert um devin culp uh, was a sophomore um uh, are all you know pretty highly rated uh sort of remains to be seen how they will actually play though none of them's taken the field or you know caught a pass in college yet so i i am I, i'm very curious it's, it's Probably the, you know, I said when we talked about ASU that uh, it was my highest, their offense was the highest variant unit, in my opinion, for the Pac-12, and that there's a realistic version of them that's very, very good, and there's a realistic version of them in which stuff goes wrong and it's very, very bad. I think something similar could be said about Washington's offense. There's a ton of talent on paper here, and if they make the right decisions um, and they have a good offensive coordinator and they get rid of the Bush-Hamden, you know, parking brake applied to them, there's a version of Washington's offense, which is excellent. There's also a version of Washington's offense which is god awful you know they're just not returning much in terms of production and you know it really remains to be seen how they answer a ton of these questions okay rob if you had to bet a significant amount of money on the washington offense being better than oregon state who would you take i mean i would take washington this year for sure um if only because like yes washington doesn't return a lot but they certainly have better talent to be plugging in than oregon state I would, and I think Donovan is going to be an improvement over Bush Hamdan. Um, and so I think this year, you know, Washington, you know, should be able to beat them out. Next year, though, I, I'd probably actually take Oregon State because they might actually be returning a lot. And I think Smith is, for my money, the best offensive play caller in the Pac-12 still. Okay, we'll do rapid fire. And don't worry, Washington fans, we're going to give you a giant back rub in about like 30 seconds on the defense. So um, would you take Washington's offense or Stanford's offense? I would take Washington if that was for me. Cal's offense. Uh, Washington. Oregon's offense. They're replacing their entire offensive line. I'm gonna. I'm going with Oregon. I like Moorhead better. Okay. All right. Let's get to the defense. Let's do it right after this. All right. We're back talking Washington defense. And boy, howdy was a good one, Rob. Yeah. I mean, finishing out ten and Baderink in particular, given out, you know, given how much they lost off of the prior year, I think is a remarkable accomplishment. The last time that they ended up losing so much off, they had a little more of a fall off um, year over year. So, you know, coming into this year, you're really expecting them to 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 be amongst the very best defenses in all of college football. Um, I still really like what they're bringing back in the secondary a lot. 
Um, and that that secondary for Washington is is really the strength of the team. Um, I mean, they played they played dime on seventy percent of their snaps last season. So they're they're going to put. I mean, that I I should also say I think that also says something about how much they love their linebacking core. Uh, but you know that that could that on its own could change as they you know shift you know shift some players around and maybe you know some of the very highly regarded recruits that they have signed. Um, in that linebacking core, see you know see the field, and you know they have more than one linebacker on the field this coming. Uh, but yeah, there's there's a lot to really like. I mean, I think if if you have questions coming into the season, it's not against the pass. Um, it is more. I, I feel like generating pass rush is a little of a concern, and, and controlling interior runs. Well, let's start. Let's switch it up. Let's start with the secondary hit today. We have Keith Taylor, Trent McDuffie, Elijah Molden, Asa Turner. They lose Miles Bryant, who was kind of a like a gadget. For, for them, he played a lot of different mm-hmm. places uh, for them, which was pretty fun to watch. Um, what do you think about the secondary? Uh, it's excellent, uh, the and very deep. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's a very good group. Uh, the defense is based uh, around them, uh, and you know, they hold up their end of the bargain. I think, uh, if I had to identify a weak link, it would probably be Keith Taylor, one of the uh, cornerbacks. I think you know, he teams were certainly picking on him instead of picking on Trent McDuffie because he ain't gonna pick on Trent McDuffie. Um, which says a lot, too, of, right? Because he was uh, he's a freshman that, that was playing out yeah. there, right? Man, uh, yeah, no, it's it. It is an excellent core of defensive backs. I mean, I, I wish I, I wish I had more to say about them, but I, you know, I really don't. I, you know, it's excellent and 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 deep to the point of redundancy. Frankly, one I guess one question for you would be uh, losing Miles Bryant at the free safety position, uh, who they moved over from. I think Nickelback last year they brought him over to the safety position. Do you have any uh, projections into who's going to fill that spot and if they're going to be able to fill it effectively? Well, it's interesting because they had. I, I would sort of identify Bryant as a nickel, or at least that was pretty clearly his position in 2018. And then uh, Elijah Molden was sort of playing nickel in 2019, but there's kind of like different kinds of nickels. It, it exceeds the scope of this podcast for to explain the schematic nature of it. And I don't have a whiteboard. Um, I, I don't think they're going to have a problem with replacing Brian at all, at least as a defensive back. It's sort of the interesting thing to, to get back to what Rob was saying about the pass rush is that a, you should all, you should congratulate the DBs even more because they were doing what they were doing with, you know, while Washington's defensive structure is not really built around um, rushing the passer. It's built back around, you know, keeping the play in front of them. The DBs really are just locking everybody down. Um, the other thing is that miles Bryant's biggest contribution was havoc plays. You know, he was, uh, you know, he had, you know, four and a half tackles for loss in a sack last year. And that's, you know, it's Washington is losing most of what little havoc plays they had in, in miles. Bryant had four and a half tackles for loss. Benning Podoahi had seven, uh, uh, Anzarike had, uh, six Tryon had 12 and a half in, with eight sacks. Like, um, if, if Washington has a, uh, uh, a pro- they're not losing a lot, but what they are losing is disproportionate in their in terms of their havoc plays. Oh, that's the other thing that Miles brought. You got, you got three of their uh, uh, interceptions and one of their pass breakups. Um, like, I'm not really sure where the havoc's coming from the rest of uh, uh, this defense. It's sort of a fairly conservative, a lot of cover three type of uh, uh, defense, and it sort of remains to be seen how it will do without uh, those pass rush players and those havoc players. Rob, before we shift over to the pass rush and uh, and putting pressure on the quarterback, what can, let, let's just take a moment to appreciate, what was the, the secondary ratings, like the pass defense uh, in 2019, and what does Beta Rank project their pass defense to be in 2020? 
So they finished out at number nine uh, in effective pass uh, last year. We don't. I don't have a projection on like I just project the overall rank for the defense. I don't have a particular pass grade for them coming this year. But the number nine overall pass defense, I would expect them, given everything that they're bringing back, you know, to to finish in the top five uh, again. And and it it is Hibbles. I mean, the, the they are good enough that they can make up a bit for a lack of a pass rush. You know, if that becomes a significant problem. Okay. Hithliday, who finds themselves on first or second team all pack 12 from the secondary? Uh, Trent McDuffie, Elijah Molden, and that's it. They tend to give those, spread those awards around. Okay. All right. Two, two in the cornerback spot. That's, uh, that's right. What I didn't want to do is just like, Oh, they're good, and then move on because they are good, and I think it's like the best testament to a team if we're like, yeah, yeah, they'll be fine, <laughs> and then go it's, on to the. It's next. the Anna Karenna principle, you know, <laughs> like the 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 functional families are not interesting. The dysfunctional families, on the other <laughs> hand, no, that, that is true. Like, and the scheme is interesting. Like, and and if you are new to the show, we've mentioned a couple times where like you'll be watching the defense and you can't see the safeties in the screen. Like that's how far back they're playing, uh, just to keep things in front of them and relying on some of the other talent that they have on there. Um, let's let's start with the linebackers because I want to I want to end on a high note here because I know that the linebacking core was an issue last year Rob but they do get some interesting pieces what what were some of the issues that you had with the linebackers as we um, as we kind of watched a really solid uh, defense and just saw kind of like a weakness there uh, as uh, as they were trying to stop teams I mean I thought they were fine on the outside I mean I think they struggled on the interior you know, and I think that's where, you know, they, they have, I mean, on Wuzurike, on Wuzurike in particular, I think helped, you know, is, is helping to clean up and keep some of the, you know, keep some of the pressure off of those interior linebackers. I, I you know, I, they're not, I mean, again, they're not bad. I mean, I just, I mean, you could see clearly with like, I mean, yeah, like playing against spread teams, they're going to force you to play nickel. The, at least nickel the majority of the time anyway the fact that washington chose to play in dime and trust you know safeties and dbs to come in and control outside runs tells you something about what they thought about their linebacking core i mean now with you know savelle smalls coming in i think that there is you know there's an opportunity for them to hit a little bit of the reset button but i think the questions that you have about the you know uh the interior of that linebacking core still exist with what uh, what they have coming back Rob's being polite. They, they were terrible last year. I don't think they fixed this problem. They, the, you were about to say they lost Kyler Manu and Brandon Wellington. Those were probably the worst two inside linebackers in the Pac-12, and I, they share a state with Wazoo. Uh, they are probably going to replace them with a walk-on, Edwan uh, Elifoscio and uh, Jackson Sermon, interestingly enough, the cousin of the quarterback prospect. Um, uh, th- those guys were not super highly rated. Neither of them were four stars. Uh, They're you know, probably leading in camp. They are probably not not going to play the couple of four stars they got in the 2019 class, Daniel Haymuli and Josh Calvert. One of them was injured last year. Uh, and apparently they have not impressed in camp, um, which is uh, surprising. Uh, you know, I can tell you from watching them in backup time, Washington fans were screaming for Ulufoshio and Sermon because Wellington and Manu were so bad. I was watching them on film. Yeah, they're better than those two guys. Like, they're just not fast enough to play in the structure of this defense, which demands everything out of the inside linebackers um, to not only play the inside run, but the outside run as well. Taking a look at some of the players, and, and by by the way, like Josh Calvert, top 10 inside linebacker of 2019, um, they had another top 10 inside linebacker. So if they're not breaking through, I think like we've talked about this with a couple other teams, right? Like we, we talked about with Arizona's wide receivers. If you don't have the four star kids that are breaking through and not overcoming um, OK 
like three star meh like wide receivers, then there's that, that that's a problem. And it'll be interesting to, to see if Washington's able to compensate for it, or or maybe the other two guys step forward. But but that, I guess like I, we started with the worst part, right? I mean, the outside linebackers are going to be stronger. Hithliday, at least that that's that's what it appears to be. Well, it's, it's that how Smalls works out and they decide to play him. That's what I was talking about earlier in terms of like, you know, what's the culture going to be at Washington under Jimmy Lake? Are they going to take the flyer on the highly talented, you know, five-star uh, true freshman? Or do they, you know, because there's like four guys or three or four guys at outside linebacker ahead of him uh, in terms of seniority. There's Bowman and Latu and ZDF, like uh, – you know, entirely possible that I described the rotation and Savelle Stalls doesn't get off the bench. I mean, that was definitely true uh, last year. It was definitely true under Chris Peterson that he was very, very, very reluctant to play freshmen uh, on the line, either offensive or defensive. And it will be interesting to see whether or not Jimmy Lake continues that culture or makes a break from that culture. And we're talking about Savelle Smalls. This is the number three. He was listed as a defensive end when he was recruited, but like, I mean, obviously somebody that's going to be playing um, and putting pressure on the quarterback and also just being out there on the line backing core number three in the country of the 2020 class um they do have some interesting pieces like just kind of all across the board Leatu, Leitu, uh Braylon Trice are some top 25 kids in the 2019 class that are still sitting around so like on paper there are some people that can definitely that may be able to to crack their way into the roster and maybe they step up but like I, I think really the the thing we're less worried about is the defensive line Rob yeah I mean I'm I'm less worried about the defensive line I mean as I feel like I keep saying his name like, yeah, they're going to miss on Uzurike. I mean, absolutely. He um, was a difference maker for them on the line. Um, and really it's true. I mean, like Tryon was, a, you know, a significant amount of their, their pass rush too. Right. I mean, like they don't, um, you know, some of their other defensive linemen really didn't get to the quarterback a ton and get into the backfield a ton. So I'm, I mean, I, I think the, I mean, I think the line will be fine. I think that they're pretty well coached there. Um, and I think that they'll be able to, to to patch it together, but I don't know that they're going to be quite as effective. And I would have the concern, you know, with Anuzarike not there, I would have a little bit of a concern of interior runs on this team, um, particularly with the continued issues that they've had at into uh, inside linebacker. You know, as for the defensive line, like it's curious. They they play a two four five defense. The two different defensive linemen are not mirrors of one another. They uh, play different roles. And in fact, Anzarike was sort of out of position. He should have been more outside. They needed to play him inside because of the nature of their experience. Here's the problem. With Anzarike gone, they are very deep at the, at the one type of defensive lineman, the Greg Gaines type of, you know, immovable object. They've got a ton of those guys, Latuli, uh, uh, Angusanoa, and Taimani, and Tuatele, a Pama opted out, uh, unfortunately. Landis, Draco Bynum. These guys are not the super disruptive type, and they and, and they really didn't get much play. Only Latuli Angusano and Taimani got play last year. They will probably need to start the former walk-on Josiah Bronson. Um, uh, you know, I actually think that's probably what the rotation is: Bronson and Tuli. And uh, uh, you know, I, I, I without Potawai and without Tryon, without Anzarike, I really don't know where the disruption comes from. All right, Rob, paint me a picture of optimism here for the front seven because there are a ton of players on here that, that on paper could be really solid. Like Tuli Latua Gasanoa was a blue chip uh, recruit, all Pac 12. Um, you know, Josiah Bronson has experience. Sam Taimani uh, is also a player that, that has a lot of interest. They've recruited well um, on, the, on the defensive line. So, and, and I get, I get where Hithliday is coming from. 
uh, because it'll be interesting to see if these pieces come together. Uh, but what, like, if, if you were to leave Washington fans with a, hey, like, if, if everything comes together, here's what it would look like. I mean, you have, I mean, the, you really have to start, though, with the fact that, like, they have such a good secondary that it allows them to be flexible with how they play, you know, within the box, right? I mean, that, and I mean, it, it does, like, I mean, of course, their they're, they're safeties are starting so far back that, you know, that, that you do, you do end up a little worried about their ability to make it up there and run support. But I do think the, I think they're going to be fine. I mean, I think that they will be fine. Um, they won't be, they will not likely be as effective as maybe they could have been with, you know, with Tryon and on Wizurgate gone. But I mean, I think that they'll be fine. I think that if they, you know, they put their most talented players on the field in particular in this wacky season that we have, that is going to benefit them significantly. Um, you know, in the, in this front seven in particular, and then I think, you know, they, they, they're not in a spot, you know, Washington's not really in a spot where they're going to have, I mean, they, they got a, they got a good draw on their, you know, their cross, they got Arizona, um, you know, from the South, you know, Washington state is likely going to have a, a hiccup year. Oregon state's losing a ton. Cal is, you know, Washington's bugaboo, but you know, Oregon's also, you know, like, figuring out their offense again, like this defense, you know, without, and they're not going to play USC, really the only offense you would, you know, be willing to put significant money on the outcomes on in the pac 12. I mean, this defense just looked great most of the year. Yeah. It should be said that when Washington beat USC last year, but that was one of the games that Slovis was out on. I, I agree yeah. with you. If those two teams do wind up uh, playing each other in the seventh week, that will be um, a very interesting game. Uh, you know, I, I realize I just, you know, lodged a bunch of complaints about the way that Washington managed its roster and, and, and questions that I have about the defensive front. I had all the same complaints and questions about the 2019 defense. It was still very good. I uh, believe that in 2020, it will be a very good defense as well. I just think it's not as good as it could be. Um, okay. Uh, all that said, and and I look. If you're a Washington fan, I think I think we probably it, it's an expectations game. It's kind of like what we did with ASU, where um, you know Washington is going to be a good team this year, and their defense is going to be a really solid defense. So um, it's just more like can can it get to an elite spot? I, yeah, I feel like we sh- we should say about Washington though, because I feel like there's a lot of doom and gloom still, but like. The offense should be better, and the defense still should be very good. The special teams took a step forward last year. Like, I'm not, I'm not sold on the move with Donovan, but it should be an improvement over Hamdan. Yeah, I, I think if they didn't have Oregon in their division, they would be the hands down favorite in the division. Like, I think they'd be the hands down favorite in the division in maybe like four or five Power Five divisions in football. Like, this is going to be a very good team. It's just. It's not – I just don't think it's as well-managed or well-coached as Oregon is, and I don't think it's as thoroughly talented um, in terms of its distribution as USC is. And uh, unfortunately, that makes a very good team probably number three in the in the conference. Okay. Um, all right, let's get to Wazoo real fast because this, this, is, a fun, this is a fun team um, and an intriguing team that will probably not be very good this year up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Washington State last season – I mean, 33 overall, they were number 12 on offense in beta rank, although they certainly, again, had their struggles when they played against, um, you know, Washington in particular. Uh, but, you know, they were a very different even than the year before. Anthony Gordon was more of a, um, you know, throw it deep, um, and he was very good at it. They were number five in explosive drives, uh, you know, as opposed to the year before in Minshew, and they were just a very efficient Minshew would take whatever they gave you. Um 
this will all be different though, of course, as they go to the run and shoot. Um, the, the defense, however, uh, ever since Alex Grinch left, it has been an unmitigated disaster. Tracy Clay's was out <laughs> and they just, they just struggled. I like, you know, they finished at 83. They were awful against the pass. 118, an effective pass. One of the very worst pass defenses in all of college football last year. Better against the run, number 49 there. You know, where they really struggled, just didn't force nearly enough three and outs. One in, 121 there. I, I like uh, Dickert, the uh, the defensive coordinator they're bringing in from Wyoming. I think that in, in some ways, Rolovich brings what was the top offense from the Mountain West, as well as grabbing the top defensive coordinator, uh, you know, although he was only the DC for one year at Wyoming, um, you know, with him, you know, that's, that's, that's not a bad place to start. I think if you're Wazoo, but uh, yeah, there will potentially be some growing pains on what has been the engine of this team the last couple of years, the, the offense. And if you want a real deep dive into Washington State, we did one uh, with our friend Burke18, uh, who we're doing some more stuff with, which I'm really excited to talk about uh, in future podcasts with Scheme and all that stuff. So uh, check that out. It's about what you can expect from the run and shoot offense. So it, we're not going to get into a ton of the X's those because we've already done that. Um, one of the questions I did have for you, Hithliday, was the you know, Anthony Gordon, Gage Gabrud, and Trey Tinsley are all gone. And basically you have Cam and Cooper, Gunnar Cruz, and Jaden Delora, who are all like quarterbacks that, that came in with uh, some interest from a lot of teams. I think it's going to be down to Cam and Cooper and Jaden Delora. If you were the, if you were the mastermind behind this run and shoot offense, would you prefer to have more of a dual threat like Delora? Or would you like more of a Cam, uh, Cam and Cooper, somebody that's going to be a little bit more of a stronger pocket presence on paper? I don't really think it matters the the it, first of all, your uh, your podcast with Burke 18 was phenomenal. Everybody should listen to it. It is an excellent primer on the run and shoot. I think the run and shoot is totally fascinating and I could talk for hours about it and, and the sort of interesting challenges and opportunities that it presents. I tend to agree that in the first year of an install and run and shoot, which, you know, historically every team that has installed a run and shoot the first year, they throw a million interceptions. They have a real bad time at it. Um, it's interesting. Again, everybody should listen to that podcast because because the passing structure is very different that both the quarterback and the wide receiver need to be agreeing about what they're seeing both in the pre-snap and the post-snap reads. And I think the primary determinant in Rolovich's offense of what quarterback that you have isn't what his particular skill set is in terms of pocket passer or, you know, or whatever, or even necessarily uh, prior experience with the run and shoot the way that I, my understanding is that Jaden Laura has, uh, you know, playing in Hawaii, actually like across the street from uh, Rolovich at the university. Um, I, I think, think that probably it's just going to be a fall camp question of who has is um who's on the page with the wide receivers the most yeah. um i i think the wide receiver like th I, they had a ton of departures and i would understand why people would feel overwhelmed by them and, and that they sort of uh oh they lost everybody they, they returned more than 4500 you know career passing yards uh, for, between uh the guys that they bring back if you count calvin jackson's juco uh career you know him and and Renard bell and travel harris and jamar calvin uh i liked what you know the little we saw out of brandon gray like these are all experienced uh effective wide receivers and you know their talent ratings are not great um it's it's true and i and i you know 99 of the time i go with the talent rating but there is one coach who if he gives you the seal of approval uh as a good 
wide receiver, then I say, you know, yes, sir. Uh, and that's Mike Leach picking out wide receivers. He's been excellent at it. And if he says these, you know, motley crew of two stars uh, or low three stars, I should say, uh, you know, are effective wide receivers. And I believe him. And I don't think that's going to be the end of the problem or I, the, the nature of the problem. Uh, it, it's just going to be, you know, this install takes a while, um, you know, to, to for everybody to get on the same page. It will probably be fun and interesting to watch. And then they'll throw like seven picks in a game and that'll be that because the defense sure ain't going to get it back in the game. How do you think they're going to use Max Borgie? Because he had a really good season, 870 yards. I have a yards. crazy theory about this. Okay. My crazy theory, if you watch Rolovich's Rolovich's run shoot is actually somewhat different from Mouse Davis's. Um, it, it actually eliminates the run part of the run and shoot, which refers to the quarterback rolling out. It doesn't refer yeah. to the run game, um, which he actually sort of eliminated. The quarterback wasn't really doing that. He's sort of standing in the pocket. Um, the It also eliminated a lot of the wide receiver motions that were sort of crucial to Mouse Davis's uh, offense. I'm not really sure why. I like wide receiver motion. Anyway, the... Um, uh, the I think that they're going to move Max Borgie out to a position that only pretty much exists in, in run and shoot offenses, which is called the W receiver, um, because he. I mean, he had almost as many receiving yards last year as he did or in his career as he does rushing yards. Like, he's crazy. He has a 2,000-yard uh, uh, career, and half of them are, are passing yards. I think they move him to the W receiver, and I think they use um, their fullback last year, Clay Markoff, as their primary quote-unquote running back. Um, because if you look at Rolovich's offenses in Hawaii, the running back's purpose is as a massive pass protector. Because guess what? That's how you shut down the, the, the run and shoot is you get to the yeah. quarterback. They need the six-man protection. And then occasionally they just have the guy, you know, tote the ball when when the defense lightens the box so much that you can just have that dude plow forward for seven yards. Uh, that's that that is my crazy prediction. I don't know if it's going to happen, but uh, you know, it's weird enough that if it does, people will remember it from me saying it. Yeah, we'll see. Well, we'll see what happens. Just a real hat tip to him: thirteen hundred yards on the year, <laughs> six and a half yards of carry, eleven touchdowns with six hundred uh, passing uh, pass catching yards, like you mentioned, Hithliday, and five touchdowns on that. So just. Just an interesting piece altogether. But go go ahead, Rob. No, and it could be a, I mean, that would be a real waste for, for 4G, but it would also, I mean, they could end up in a little bit of trouble because, you know, Mike Leach's offensive line recruits don't necessarily fit the shoot, right? I mean, like he, he recruited like big guys, gave them very wide spacing, you know, to, uh, to make it difficult for, you know, the defensive ends to get around quickly to get the quarterback to try to get the quarterback more time. It's going to be a little different, <laughs> you know. You're, you know, the the shoot requires a little more athleticism, even though they're not doing the rollouts anymore. Um, you know, I, so if if you do have Borgi sitting back there in pass pro, like that's. I mean, yeah, he wasn't really doing one. that under under Mike Leach is the other thing. Like, I mean, that guy's built like a gnarled oak tree, so I wouldn't be surprised if he's a good pass blocker. It, the, the, just the thing is we've never seen him do it before under Mike Leach's system. He would always be sprinting out to the sideline uh, to catch passes and not, you know, chilling in the pocket doing pass protect. I agree with you, Rob, about the offensive line. I think this is potentially, you know, bad news They they you're right. The way that they constructed the, uh, the offensive line, they got a bunch of like guys who were real cheap pickups in the market because they weren't highly rated. But the reason they weren't highly rated is because they couldn't do both things. An offensive lineman is supposed to be able to do both pass protect and run block. Um, they're excellent you know pass blockers that's why no one ever got to the you know quarterback um uh but you know they're probably moving to a half 
slide protection because that's what most run shoot teams use and uh, i don't like it uh i don't you know i don't like these guys at that skill set i you know I, i'm not wild about liam ryan who's their left tackle he's probably moving to guard uh next year i you know abraham lucas was fine as a right tackle in that system but it remains to be seen how he handles the you know the edge rush and the 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 other way around boy the rest of this talent is just like i mean we're talking about asu levels of like who like it's potentially real bad news. And like I said, that's how you shut down the run shoes. You get to the quarterback um, and, 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 you know, cloud is reads cause he has to be able to read the defense the entire way. He can't be running around scrambling for his life. Uh, and, and if he is like, yeah, it could be trouble. It sounds like the defense is low floor, low ceiling first year. <laughs> Right. Best case, scenario, right. Best case scenario is, yeah, they kind of like, okay, maybe, maybe they're able to protect the, the quarterback, but he throws a 10 interceptions or maybe, maybe, uh, the, the quarterback actually gets the system, but, uh, but the offensive line, you know, is a sieve or maybe like both of those things are fine, but the wide receivers aren't on the same page. Like, it just seems like you got to have a lot of things together in order to put this on the field. It's not like, it, it, the pro, I think the the biggest difference that I learned when we were talking about this with uh, our friend Doug was that the <laughs> that you're not just relying on the quarterback, you're relying on the quarterback and the wide receiver. You're putting more variance out on on the on the field immediately. And so it's not yeah, like but in, both the quarterback and the wide receiver has to read both the pre-snap and the post-snap reads cuz they're choice routes, right? Yeah. Uh in the same way it's like four different variables and they all have to come up with the same answers like and if they don't you throw picks and the, the end and man he did not Rolovich did not do himself any favors in this offseason because um, he's mm. going to have to really recruit to his system and find the right people to pick up and do that so it'll be interesting to see if he's able to uh is able to do that just given with all the stuff on all the news that came out from that program but uh, yeah that offense we'll see we'll see i mean like this is going to be a team that i'm going to be fading throughout the season unless they show something immediately and i just don't think that's going to happen with them um let, let's flip over unless you guys have anything else on the offense so that we can flip over the defense but anything else you guys want to mention if and when the run and shoot gets going, it's going to be, I mean, structurally, it is very different from the air raid. Do not confuse these two. One is not the synonym of the other. However, philosophically, you know, both the way that they are going to want to win games, which is shootouts, uh, the defense, my stars, um, and like just the, you know, the principle uh, of the whole thing, like, there are many standing NCAA and NFL records that are set by run and shoot teams. When it gets going, it's going to be another team that you just don't want to play. Just like Wazoo was under Mike Leach. Gross. That'd be fun though. I mean, no, but it, like, but worse, <laughs> like, but, but more difficult to do. Like, you're not going to be able to do what Washington and Cal sort of figured out with Washington state. For, I mean, and they sort of had the scheme to pull it off. Like the shoot is like, you basically have to get to the QB. You yeah, know, the, if, the one thing that Pac-12 teams, you know, don't recruit very well at, no. you know, because <laughs> okay. if if they're on the same if they're on the same if the if the wide receiver and the quarterback are you know if they get on the same page and it becomes like second nature, they are never in the wrong call. Yeah, the whole point of the offense is to always make the defense wrong. Oh. Okay. Well, fun things ahead, ahead for the offense here at Washington State. Not so I mean, like choice routes aren't unusual. The fact that, I mean, I should say like, I mean, your, your team runs option routes. Some of them may be called pre-snap, but the, the run and shoot is like, all, I mean, it, it takes it and says, let's, let's do option routes all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's like your enabler friend. 
let's do yeah. let's make this bad decision constantly i mean maybe you know they could be good decisions too but um let's go over to the defense here because like you mentioned hitliday kind of a mess one of the things that was interesting though so this this unit sucked last year but mm. They were they were top fifty now top fifty in, in college football is not a great power five thing, um, it's not a good ranking but they were top fifty against the run and beta rank Rob and I thought that was interesting. Brian, Brian Alt was like last year spent weeks arguing with me that Washington State's offense was, or defense was better than I thought it was in the beginning. It was, it was in the beginning the numbers, <laughs> better than the numbers said it was, and I just kept saying no. Tracy Clays is over. Like Tracy Clays is not. This isn't working. This is not. This is not going well. <laughs> I, I, I don't think it's a referral on Tracy Clay. I don't think it's a referral. I don't even think that Jake. You know, look at what Alex Grinch has done. Was he really a genius? I, I think they they had some very effective players under what one year for uh, Alex Grinch. They do not have effective players and have not and still don't. And and you know, I, I agree with you about Jake Dickard. I you know I, I think that he was you know what we saw out of him at Wyoming was uh, pretty encouraging. Um, I think that was more a product of Wyoming yeah. really having better defensive talent than the rest of the mountain west also this is the wrong you know probably constitutes scheme change this is the wrong season to be instituting a scheme change particularly with defensive players that don't have a lot of talent um i'm i'm surprised to learn they had a, according to big rank good rushing defense they were in the raw stats well, let's not let's not say good let's not right. say like let's, i mean in, in 49 stats, is a bad is a bad power five is a very bad power five rushing defense. It just turns out that their passing defense was so very, very bad. I mean, like, the, <laughs> but their, no, their, I mean, their run defense was really, was really bad. It just, it wasn't often what absolutely killed them. What absolutely killed them was their pass defense. Uh, fair enough, and it's probably not getting bad. Where Skylar Thomas, you know, getting the transfer portal yet again. Um, uh, yeah, there's just not a ton of talent here, and, and uh, you know, their their DBs get burned you know, uh, constantly. Uh, and, you know, in the defensive front, like, there are some interesting pieces. There are some guys who I actually kind of like watching because they're fun. Uh, but, you know, quality, uh, you know, is not the calling card here. Um, uh, you know, one of the interesting things is Jihad Woods, the returning linebacker, has, I, you know, he had 288 tackles last year. I believe that's, like, not only the number one in the country, but, like, 50 more than number two. Like, it's crazy. Uh, and you know, and, and they were all, you know, 10 yards past the line of scrimmage. You know? There's just not much intelligent to be said about the, the, the defense here. It simply doesn't have the talent to get it done. When you watch it on film, I mean, like they're getting blown off the line of scrimmage pretty much instantly. I mean, if you have the if you don't fall behind to Wazoo's passing attack um, last year, if you didn't fall behind and therefore had to, you know, sort of play desperate if you could play patient and just, you know, run the ball every down, run the ball, you know you'd get like seven yards of carry and just, you know, march down the field. And, and if you wanted to, it was there for the asking to, to win, you know, a 17 to 10, you know, type of game. Um, it's just that most teams in the PAC 12 don't have that kind of patience since, uh, you know, but the, the, the contenders do. And so I don't think they're going to have a problem. So to look on the sunny side, we have, we're returning most, most of the players like, uh, Lamonte, uh, McDougal comes back. Will Rogers, Dallas Hobbs, all in the front line. 
Uh, they returned their linebackers, Willie Taylor, Jihad Woods, like you mentioned, who also had 10 tackles for a loss and three pass breakups. Yeah, I'm, I'm stat counting a little bit here, but I just want to at least, like, you know, th- these players do come back. Uh, Justice Rogers also returns, who had 70 tackles um, and a number of tackles in the backfield. So there is some continuity, but you have a new defensive coordinator. You're installing a new system, and this wasn't that great of a front seven. But, like, and I think probably what's going to happen, right, is uh, is the opposite of what you just said, Hithliday. I think teams are going to try to pass and then they'll also run a lot, too, and probably get yards there. Um, but this secondary is, is just so, so bad that um, that you're just going to be able to get yards any way you kind of want. Uh, sure. Uh, you mentioned a couple names that are interesting. Um, Lamont McDougall, who is a transfer from uh, West Virginia, is actually – was pretty effective and disruptive at West Virginia. And then it sort of sw- in what I believe was the four down front and they moved to the three down front wazoo sort of requires something different of the defensive lineman. And he simply wasn't effective. Nobody sort of disappointed. And I was like, it's the scheme brother. Uh, and then, you know, with Dickert, I believe they're going to be switching back to a four man uh, yep. front because they're running in Wyoming. You know, we'll have to see. Um, it may be that that's a better fit for McDougal, in which case like he could actually surprise you being, you know, fairly disruptive. That, That'd be nice. Um, there are two interesting personnel moves um, that happened with Wazoo secondary. Skylar Thomas entered the transfer portal again. He was their, I think, second leading tackler, uh, you know, career 152. Um, you know, I didn't think he was a great defensive back, but, you know, at least he could bring the dude down. What will be interesting is that they're getting a walk-on. Aiden Hector, um, uh, as a true freshman, he was a four-star. Um, he was one of the Eastside Catholic um, uh, scandal guys that he uh, stands pulled his scholarship and and that's why he's walking on to wazoo it may be um you know it is probably not the right podcast to comment on on the that decision um I, we don't know how it's going to go uh um at least its effect on the field is probably going to be, you know, if he does wind up playing, I would expect him to, to, you know, get a starting position. So because the rest of the talent on this roster is not up to snuff. Um, and he may very well lock down his side of the field. Um, but as Stanford can tell you with Paulson Adebo, like you can't build a defense around one cornerback, you know, that there's still the other side of the field. Yeah. And one of the things that we should mention in the last podcast, like, uh, you had mentioned the the scandal over there, and I thought it was like a recruiting scandal or academic scandal. It is a sexual assault scandal, and they're sifting through those details. And like, we won't go into the details on this podcast. If you want to look it up, you can. Um, but if in the last podcast, I think I kind of just shrugged it off, assuming that it was more of a an academic scandal. So something well, just to keep it, in mind. That's sort of it. It, it's not surprising. It, it's outside of the Pacific Northwest. It hasn't gotten um, a, a lot of press, even though a number of those players, you know, were offered, you know, Pac-12 scholarships and sort of have affected a number of different teams. You know, it's sort of new to the Wazoo fan base. And, and you know, as far as I can tell, it's, it's creating a lot of... Uh, you know, conflict about, you know, what to be, what to be done about that, um, you know, or, or, or how to react to that. I, I don't really have any good answers, uh, for anybody. I don't know how to have any good answers about how the 2020 season should be viewed, uh, at all. Like, you know, is this all planned for style points? Um, you know, or what are our values here? Uh, you know, they probably exceeds the scope of this podcast to get into those questions, but like the, they can't totally be outside of your mind. Yeah. I guess, I guess the, to bring it back more to the X's and O's, uh, would be, he he was a a highly recruited player, so probably one of the more talented players uh, on paper 
that come in, even though he's a walk-on. Uh, again, like lots of scholarship walking on the program there. They also bring in Philip Powell, who's a safety out of South Dakota. So, you know, take him or leave him, I guess. <laughs> when you're bringing in FCS, yeah, lot, I don't know if he's good or not. A lot of transfers, a lot of JUCOs, a lot of walk-ons uh, on this DB roster. I mean, it's like it's enormous. I, I count 27 players uh, on DBs uh, as part of Wazoo's roster. Um, it it uh, or well, depending on what how you count it exactly, maybe a couple fewer than that. Uh, I'm frankly not wild about any of them. Um, you know, I think it will probably be the case that that if you have two good wide receivers, that's more than enough to take down Wazoo's defense. Yeah. Okay. Uh, last thoughts, Rob, on the defense here in uh, in Wazoo and the Palouse. I think one of the things my end would be uh, an interesting choice for defensive coordinator so if, if if a good mind can put together some pieces maybe maybe we do see a jump but the talent just really isn't there well i'm i'm interested to see i mean the certainly scotty hazelton who was the uh, coordinator before jake dickard i thought did a really good job at kansas state he's you know then off to michigan state to be metal tucker's dc um you know i think that dickard you know fit into the system that they had there but uh, as Hippolyte pointed out, I mean, it's interesting that we say like, you know, Wyoming has better talent, particularly on the defensive line than a lot of other teams in the Mountain West. Like Laramie's an incredibly hard place to recruit to. Um, Pete Caligas, who is their interior defensive tackles coach and Marty English, um, their defensive ends coach, do a phenomenal job developing players. Um, and so they, Wyoming usually does have an advantage, you know, at the front there. That, that gives you, you know, uh, Dickert was able to step into that and I think, uh, you know, and, and inherit and play what, you know, and, and call plays within that system. How he does, I think, outside of this, because while uh, Hazleton was going to, to Cleman staff, which is also in that North Dakota State mold uh, at Kansas State, um, you know, Dickert's, you know, really just bringing it all with himself, you know, at, with one year of play calling duties under his belt into Washington State. Um, you know, whether he got, you know, got the guys to, to be able to develop players because Washington state is, you're going to have to develop players to be able to put together a competent defense, uh, you know, uh, at Wazoo. So uh, that, that, that is the part that I think that, um, I, I like, I mean, I like to hire, right? Like, I mean, they're in Washington state, you're not going to be able to go out and make some kind of really splashy defensive coordinator hire. Like they weren't in the running to almost sign Dave Aranda. That said, right, like a lot of what makes made that defense work at Wyoming is is the really solid player development on, I mean, not on the offensive side of the ball, but on the defensive side of the ball under Craig Bull. Yeah, that, that is that is a little more of an open question to me. So I I, I think Dickert's a good hire. You know, he's going to have, like, you're, you're probably not going to see it this year. You know, maybe next year you'll start to see some, some real improvement. But, you know, also like they can't be any worse. I mean, really from a coaching perspective of like where they were positioning and secondary, I mean, they almost couldn't be any worse than they were last year. So I do expect them to improve a little bit. And never say the other that. Move that I, never say the, that. The other move that I really like on the defensive coaching staff is one of the few guys that he brought, Rolovich brought with him from Hawaii on the defensive side while well, brought just about everybody over on the offensive side. It was Ricky Logo, the defensive tackles coach, who um, I actually think is a pretty good developer. Um, oh, that's good. That's what they need. Yeah, and uh, he's he's been at a couple different stops. I, all of them were, you know, I think he did a, a fairly good job. Um, I, 
uh, I wound up watching his film for bizarre reasons when it was Vanderbilt uh, from the other side of the ball. Um, and uh, also has a you know very strong Polynesian recruiting connection, which is like exactly what Wazoo needs. Um, so I, that was a smart move. I, I think up and down the roster, this or the coaching staff, I should say, you know, there's a lot of smart moves uh, here. Um, it's sort of like got a lot of the the best of all the different you know Mountain West teams. Uh, uh, frankly, um, I, I think a lot of these guys, you know, Wazoo has been sort of a, a fountainhead for uh, other Pac-12 teams to steal their coaches for other coaching jobs. Certainly, Oregon's poached a few. Uh, I I sort of think a similar thing is going to happen. A lot of these may find themselves in more uh, higher paying jobs uh, in places that don't depend entirely on lentils for their economy. Right on, right on. Well, let's leave it there. We got three teams. We only have two left. We only have two left. We have uh, Oregon and we have Utah. So stick with us as we break those down. And then the following week, we're in our preview. Like we're literally diving in. Max is going to join the podcast again. We're going to preview the games like we normally do. Um, I might even do like a, a quick might bring up one of our old episodes so some of the new people can kind of get a feel for for what that feels like because it's a lot different than this type of episode uh, a lot quicker we go through the games and all that stuff so really looking forward to that Hitloday, thank you for coming on rob thank you for coming on and we will catch everybody next week and, and shout out shout out to the one person that listened to us on their apple watch that is dedication guys thank you for doing that and we'll <laughs> catch you guys next week <laughs>